And you're thinking, well, how do I do that? Well, just open your Bible to the middle. Just put it in the middle. Just put it in the middle for now. We'll get to the text. But uh, what I want to do off the start is just um, baffle you a little bit. First text, Proverbs 22 and 28. That's kind of in the middle of your Bible. This is one of these texts, these verses in the Bible that you want to memorize, that you want to burn into your heart, okay? This is a good one. Do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. And they all said? Obviously, that one's, that one's not quite stirring you. Let me try another one. Deuteronomy 19 and 14. You shall not move your neighbor's boundary mark which the ancestors set in your inheritance which you will inherit in the land that the Lord your God gives you to possess. That was said to Israel, and everybody said? Is that one stirring you more? Not quite there. Okay, don't worry. We're building. We're building. Don't want to give it away all at once. Deuteronomy 27 and 17. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark. And you're going to like this. And all the people shall say? That's actually in that one. Job 24 and 2. Some remove landmarks. They seize and devour flocks. I'm not going to ask you to amen that one. Hosea 5 and 10. The princes of Judah have become like those who move a boundary. On them I will pour out my wrath like water. I don't think I'm going to have you amen that one either. Let's get to the text. Talked a lot about landmarks and boundaries. You're wondering, right now you're just wondering. Psalm 16, 5 and 6. I read this earlier in the week during devotions. And it, I don't know, verse 6 just kind of jumped out at me. And I just felt that God would want me to preach on this. And then as I was looking at it, I thought, oh my, what would I preach on that? Psalm 16, 5 and 6. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places And surely I have a delightful inheritance. Have you ever been tempted to complain? Wow, a lot of honesty in the room this morning. That's good. Have you ever felt like you're not getting your fair share? You're not getting the breaks or the blessings? That others are doing better than you? That you've been ripped off, left out, and left behind? For those of you that sometimes feel that way, there is a passage in Philippians chapter 2, I think in and around verse 14, it might be a good read about doing everything without arguing and complaining, about shining out like stars in the universe in a dark and depraved world generation. It's a reminder that we shouldn't complain. But Psalm 16, 5 and 6 is the answer to why we shouldn't complain. And he says this, David is the writer, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. 
And the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And surely I have a delightful inheritance. So David, King David, shepherd boy David, King David, Goliath killer David. David says this. But the Psalms don't always give us the background. They don't give us the detail all of the time about the when, the where, the why. When did David write this and what were the circumstances? And people guess at those kinds of things and scholars guess at those kinds of things. But whatever the situation was, whatever was going on in his life at this particular time, it appears to us that David pauses for a minute and he reflects on God he's in those quiet moments that pastor Adam just talked about he's in one of those quiet moments and he recognizes how blessed he is now you and I might say this well if this was written around the time that he was king of Israel well of course he's blessed he's a king and even though Israel back in those days was a humble modest kingdom Nonetheless, he was still a king. He would have had more than, everything better than, everybody else. If he was the shepherd boy, David, you could also say, you know what? He came from a big family. You know, his dad, Jesse, they had herds. It looks like they had, uh, you know, a, a fair amount of land. They had some prestige. So his family was pretty good. If you want to go beyond that, you could also say, well, you know what? He's from the tribe of Judah, and Judah was a strong tribe uh, in the 12-nation uh, uh, Judah uh, Israel family. And so, you know what? There was a lot going on for him just because of where he was, that indeed the boundary lines had fallen in pleasant places for him. If he was writing while King Saul was chasing him around the wilderness and trying to kill him, it might give a little better perspective on that. Well, if he could stop and reflect on the goodness of God, even while somebody, a madman's chasing him around the wilderness trying to kill him, that's a great thing. If he was writing this while uh, his wife was taunting him, Michael was taunting him, you could say, wow, he you know, still kept a good frame of mind. If he was writing this during the times when he was protecting his kingdom and trying to subdue his enemies both inwards and outwards, you would say, well, it's amazing that he could write something like that because there was a lot of blood on his hands. So we don't know the circumstances, but I'm, I'm asking you to think about all of the different stages of David's life so that you don't fall into the trap of thinking, well, he was always a blessed guy. He never knew hardship. So it would be easy for this guy to write that. Because that's what we feel sometimes. Well, other people can speak glowingly about God and, and about spiritual things because they've never known a hardship in their life. It seems like they've lived in a spiritual greenhouse and adversity has never touched them. Disappointment has never touched them. Grief has never touched them. It's easy to write that stuff. But I want you to know that David's life was more complicated than just a moment in time. He did have some great moments. And he also had some very difficult moments, not to mention Psalm 51, the whole incident with Bathsheba. But at some moment in time, he says, The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Let me ask you what might seem like an unrelated question this morning. Don't shout out the answer, even if you know it. What's your net worth? What do you mean? 
Well, subtract the liabilities from the assets, the expenditures from the income. Add up all your stuff. I mean, we are a generation that likes to measure things. We like to know what we possess, how much it's worth, what do we own? Do I have anything of value? Do I have more than my neighbor? What's my net worth? David would answer that question this way. It really doesn't matter what I have. It's more important who I have. Now again, remember, this is a guy that was on his way to be king or was already king. The question isn't what do I have. The question is who or whom do I have? David, the king of Israel, or the soon-to-be king of Israel, says this. And again, take your text and go with me to Psalm 16 and verse 5 and 6. This is what David says in verse 5. He says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. He isn't thinking about all the stuff that he has. He isn't thinking about the palace that he lives in in Jerusalem, if indeed he is king at the time of this writing, of this psalm. He is reminding himself that the best, the most important possession that he has is God himself. Now you would think for us, under the new covenant in this day and age, having the Holy Spirit in our hearts, and having a spiritual reality that even people like David couldn't experience or exercise, that we would be very quick to say the same thing. You know what? I may not have a lot of stuff. I may not have much in the sense of net value, net worth. But one thing I know that I have, I know that I know that I know that I know, is that God is my portion and my cup. You can take everything else away from me, but God is my portion and my cup. I, I don't say this trivially. But I'm wondering if there are some believers in the Bahamas today saying that same thing. Because, man, all their stuff got washed away. And I'm sure there are all kinds of Christians that experience that too. And I'm wondering how many of them today are thinking about psalms like this and saying, you know what, all the stuff can get washed away into the ocean or get bulldozed into the ground or get burned up in a residue fire. But God is my portion and my cup, and he makes my lot secure. Look what he says here. He says, you alone are my portion. You alone. It says a couple of things. First of all, it says that his dependency is on or in Christ and Christ alone. It's only in him. There are no other rivals. No other rivals at all. One of the things that Israel dealt with with the pagan nations around them, that there were all kinds of gods and goddesses. There were all kinds of rivals. Jehovah was just one of the gods back in those days. Uh, the, the pagans that lived around Israel didn't see him as anyone special, Jehovah. They, they didn't. He was just another God, and he was just Israel's God. And one of the things that David makes very clear that in his heart, there are no other rivals in, her heart and, in his heart, and there are no other rivals for his heart. In other words, he isn't getting caught up in his net value. What do I have? 
measuring himself by what he has, telling himself that he has more value than others because he has more stuff than others do. There are no other rivals in his heart. And he says that God alone, only God, God and God alone, is his portion and his cup. We understand the word portion pretty well. That when he says that God is his portion, he's recognizing his dependency on God, that his help comes from God, that God is taking care of him. You could also relate it to our language these days that in Israel's days that people were allotted a portion, a share of the land. Each tribe had a share and everybody in each tribe had a share. And he is basically reminding us that God is his, his dependency. God is the one taking care of him. And it, it's God that has been given to him. Not just a chunk of land, not just a meadow or a valley or a running brook, but God is his portion. And then he uses this interesting phrase that comes up in a Bible from time to time. He says that God is his portion and his cup. Well, that's really abstract to us today. I don't think you ever say stuff like that. You know, when you say pass my cup, you mean this, you know, my coffee cup, my tea cup, something that you're going to pour a drink into and, and consume it. In the Bible, cup has, has a couple of meanings. If, if you think of a, a physical cup, say, you know, uh, 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago, th what does the cup represent? Well, when Jesus was going to the cross, he cries out in this prayer, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And the cup there represents a few things. It represents the task that Jesus had about going to the cross and giving his life. The cup represents judgment, that there is judgment that's going to fall upon Jesus, not because of his sins, but because of the sins of the world. The cup represents a task, that Jesus has something to do. The cup is the task, the job, and in this case, it's a terrible job, in, in order to die upon the cross. If we look at the Psalms in Psalm 23, it speaks about, and David again is the writer, his cup runs over. And there the cup represents blessing. That he's got so much blessing in his life, or the psalmist has so much blessing in his life, it's like pouring wine into a glass, and, and, and the wine is the blessing of God, and it just overflows and overflows and overflows. And so it's interesting that he uses the word cup because it can mean a couple of things. It can mean blessing, and in some ways it can mean hardship. But in this particular case where he says the Lord and the Lord alone is his portion in his cup, he is speaking about the blessing of God in his life that his cup is full of God's blessing. And so God alone is the one taking care of him. There are no rivals in his heart. God is God, and that's settled. And he recognizes that God is his portion, God is his inheritance, and his cup overflows. There's blessing after blessing that flows to him. He continues on with this, and he says that because of that, his lot is secure, or his inheritance is secure. Try taking something from God. Good luck with that. 
If God decides to bless an individual or a family or a church, their lot is secure. Their inheritance is secure. It also represents the future, that it promises that God is going to take care of us. And in this particular case, care of David. And then he moves on into what we call the sixth verse. And and this is, again, what spoke to me. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Remember all the landmark stuff I shared with you at the beginning that you've already forgotten that I referenced? And you're wondering about that. You know, you're probably thinking this, this, first of all, like me. Man, I didn't know there were that many verses in the Bible that deal with, like, boundaries and landmarks. Like, what's all that about? But you have to understand in in those days, and even in these days, and I'll get to it in our days, that the boundary lines were significant. When Israel went into the promised land, you have to recognize that there were pagan nations that lived there first. And so they were supposed to be removed, generally through war. And many of them were, but not all of them. And the tribes were given certain portions or certain tracts of land. And so there were certain parts of what we call the promised land on either side of the Jordan River that they were supposed to go into and settle and conquer. And then the, the individual families within those tribes were supposed to, you know, work out their inheritance. And the boundary lines would be set out. And where your boundary line landed could make or break you in some respect. You know, if the land was good, if it was well watered, If it wasn't too close to your enemies, you know, bad neighbors, those kinds of things. If your boundary lines fell in good places, you could really prosper. You could really do well working the land, working the flocks, working the herds. And so what David is saying here, and it's spiritual. He's not talking about a plot of land, but it's spiritual. He says in his case, in David's case, in his family's case, the boundary lines have fallen in good places, in pleasant places places. God had ordained it, that he was living under his blessings. And so he says, they have fallen for me in pleasant places. And because of that, he goes on to say that he has a delightful inheritance. So this is what would happen back in the good old days. And this is why it's addressed in the Old Testament so many times. Let's say you didn't think that your boundary line fell in a favorable place. What would you do if you were not a nice person? You would move the stones, and I have some pictures of some of them for you. Uh, Some of them go back a long way. I'm not saying that they go all the way back to David, but some of them go back a long way. You would move the stones. So let's let's have something that's not breakable here. I was going to use the guitar, but that's a bad idea. Let's say this is the boundary stone, the landmark, the marker. If it's here and there's another one somewhere there and there's another one somewhere there and there's another one somewhere there, the person, the the Israelite in that land knows where, where his boundaries are and everything in that is his. But let's say you're living on this side and you don't have access to water or you don't have access to the field. If you had the authority or the power or the will... you would move the boundary stone because now the brook or the river is in your land. 
And your flocks and your herds can get that. If this guy here gives you a hard time, if you can outpower him or outduel him or whatever it is, you can take his land. And we know back in ancient history that this stuff went on, that some families had more power than other families, and they would literally do that. They would move the boundary markers, and they'd say, well, it's not your land. Look where the marker is. The marker's here. And they're like, yeah, I know the marker's here now, but that's not where it was. Well, prove it. And, and my family's got more men and soldiers than your family, so I think you're just going to have to suck it up, buttercup, because here's the new landmark. Later on, when Israel got more corrupt and the princes were becoming more greedy, and I think this one's addressed in Hosea 5, the princes of Israel, because they had the power, were doing that. They all had lots of land and lots of property and probably even had pagan slaves, but they were moving the boundary markers wherever they wanted to and stealing from, stealing from the poor just because they wanted better land or better water or they needed a bigger field because their flocks now had, had grown so much they just, they just needed more real estate. So they would literally steal land from their own people. And God talks about that and says that his wrath is going to be poured out on them because they're stealing. So the idea here of moving boundary markers is that you're stealing from your neighbor. And so this was forbidden back in those days. Now, I'm, I'm going to ask you, Dylan. Dylan, can you move up to the slide that says boundary lines? And it's got a marker on the side of the road. There it is. Anybody related to the Matthews or visited the Matthews house recognize that? All right. This is off South Middle Road. Right? Now, I know they've sold and they moved. They're, they're in my neck of the woods now. But you will see a bunch of these over on South Middle Road and off South Middle Road. The Matthews family, and unfortunately they're not here, but let them know I talked about them, okay? They have these markers around their properties. Now, they've moved. I don't know if they still held on to the farmland, but they've moved. But you, if you drive by their old house on South Middle Road, you will see these, uh, you know, facing South Middle and then the road that goes down uh, kind of uh, perpendicular to it. And what I noticed here when I stopped yesterday to take the picture, there's where the stake is. So the boundary marker was pretty close to where it was supposed to be. So we can say that Mark and Matthew weren't stealing anybody's land. But that's important to you today. When you're building a fence in your yard, you want to know where the line is, right? That you're not building on, on somebody else's property. Some of you, wink, wink, nod, nod, you know who you are, have been building and you've noticed that your neighbor has been encroaching onto your property and you've had to go over and have a chat with them about that and work something out because they encroached on your property because maybe before it was vacant they didn't think anybody would ever notice or it would be built upon and then all of a sudden you showed up and wrecked their day. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. It's easy to complain sometimes about our lack. Our lack of money, our lack of opportunities, our lack of friends, our lack of health, our lack of position, our lack of authority, our lack of influence. It's easy, right? We deserve more. We need more recognition. Wouldn't it be great, hypothetically, if all of us in this room, regardless of where our estate is or our state of mind is right now, 
could honestly say this with a grateful heart, and we heard the word grateful thrown around a lot today. With a grateful heart, we could say, God, regardless of how much I have or how little I have, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. And as far as I'm concerned, my boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. Not just when you're counting your wad of money or walking off the acreage of your property or figuring out just how much equity you have in your house now that prices in Essex are crazy. But regardless of how much or how little, we could just say, you know what? I am a grateful Christ follower and my boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. And I have, right now, I have everything that God wants me to have. Should God increase me, I'm happy to receive that. Should God even decide to decrease me, my boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. I'm not going to try to manually or forcefully move the landmarks. Let me get rid of all the paper here. I'm not going to try to manually move them by doing something that is unchristlike in my desire for position or status or money or influence that I'm going to, because moving a landmark means stealing. I'm not going to steal from someone else in order to increase myself. I'm not going to try to forcefully move the landmarks, the boundary lines that God has given me at this time. If God decides to take it from here to here, then I'm good with that. But if God decides to take it from here to here, I'm going to say my boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. Folks, it's about an attitude of... Can't say it because it's been used so many times. It's just old now. It's about being grateful and thankful for what you have and not trying to increase yourself. Should God increase you? God bless you. If God has gifted you to increase you and to move your boundary lines, God bless you. Be generous with the things that God has given to you. But we're not going to try to force this, and we're certainly not going to try to take it from somebody else. And, and, and it's not just about land or money, but again, it's about influence. It's about your personal disposition. It, it's about everything that affects your life, that you are not going to become... So, so fleshly that increasing your influence or increasing your authority or increasing your power or increasing your wealth is so important to you that you're willing to do whatever it is to knock over the boundary lines. God is your portion and your cup. God is the one who makes your lot secure. God is the one who gives you a wonderful inheritance. So let me, let me wrap it up. The focus... David said God was his portion in his cup. David said his boundary lines fell in delightful places. God himself is what mattered to David. What a more beautiful or pleasant gift could you have than a strong relationship with God? It surpasses and supersedes anything in the flesh, anything in the physical. It's no wonder, as he, he kind of wraps this up in verse 6, and let me just find the text again for you, that he has a delightful inheritance because he's not counting sheep, and he's not counting goats, and he's not counting shekels, and he's not counting acres. He's just talking about God. 
that he loves God so much and God is so important to him that he says that he, his boundary lines have found delightful places. We sometimes forget who we have is far more important than what we have. We have Jesus. We have God's promises. We have love. We have forgiveness. We have salvation. We have eternal life. And yet some of us still find it necessary to try to pursue success in ways that really circumvent the will of God. Now let me speak to those of you that are going through a hard time right now, that you're going through something difficult. It may not feel right now that your boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. Maybe you've gone through something, you're going through something, you're in the middle of something. Let me just say this about the Christ follower. Being a Christ follower does not exclude you from life's difficulties. What the psalmist is promising here, that regardless of what you have or what you don't have, regardless of the negative things that are going on in your life, you have to remind yourself this. I have him. In the good times and in the bad times, I still have him. Having him doesn't make you immune to difficulty, even sometimes, you know, very challenging difficulty. But our hope is in him. So don't think because you've suffered a loss or you've suffered a diagnosis or you've suffered some relational failure or that they've, you know, pink slipped you or that your investments didn't come in or whatever else, you haven't found true love that, you know, and you're finding yourself complaining about the woe is me stuff, the woe is me, the woe is me. The only thing I can tell you is, is that you need to get your heart turned to him and not being focused on the stuff, the bad stuff that's going on in your life right now, that your heart gets tuned towards him. Again, I shared with you some of the details of David's life because I didn't want you thinking, well, it's easy for David to say this. He's a king. Of course his boundary lines have fallen in delightful places. David was a man just like us. And David had successes and David had failures. He had some great successes and he had some humongous failures. And so he knew both sides. And most of us in this room have known both sides. We've had the blessing and the good and we've also experienced some of the difficulties. And again, I recognize some of us are going through it right now. But here's the thing. As your pastor, the, I think the only thing I can do is point you to him. That you need to be focused on him. You need to take a psalm like Psalm 16, 5 and 6 and remind yourself that he alone is your portion in your cup. He alone is the one that makes your lot secure. He alone has determined where the boundary lines have fallen. And although they may be different than somebody else's, you need to delight yourself in the boundary lines that God has given to you. And understand, in the midst of the boundary lines that God has given to you, God is working in those boundary lines. He is. And I think, you know, maybe that's the second most important thing, is that you have God, but the second, second most important thing is that God is working in the boundary lines. He is working in your life in the, the hardships and the difficulties and the challenges and the successes and the rejoicing. God is at work. So, let him work. 
Let them dig in. Let's face it. Most of us could use, uh, use a little bit more of God and allowing God to mine into our lives a little bit further and, and allowing that deep calling to deep stuff. And quit focusing on the stuff and dig into God. Because if you don't, folks, you're in for a heartache. Because I'm going to tell you this right now. Not everything you're hoping for and praying for is going to go your way. So he better be your hope. He better be your portion. He better be your cup. Because if he isn't, I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know what you're going to do. It's an opportunity in the midst of sometimes what we might consider difficult boundary lines is to press in and to let Jesus fully have us. And that he alone, he alone is our portion and our cup. Let's pray.